Welcome to Jay Madison's Rural America. It's a journey through the stories impacting rural economies and country lifestyles. Jay Madison's Rural America is also a production of Jefferson County Economic Development. Now here's Jay. And hey there everyone, welcome back to Jay Madison's Rural America. I am Jay Madison, sitting alongside my friend and co-host, Mr. Ron Robbins. Uh, We've been off the air for uh, two weeks because I had a little bout with COVID, and uh, the first week kind of sucked, <laughs> and then the second week I had this wicked cough that uh, won't go away, and it just it, it just wasn't feasible to do a show, and I still may not make it through it all today, Ron. So I hope you're prepared. Oh, uh, we'll carry the water for you, Jay. So uh, you're we'll, the brains behind the operation, anyway. Well, so they say. But uh, I'll just I'll just push the buttons. <laughs> I'll just push the buttons. Well, hey, before we introduce our guest i uh, want to remind our listeners that on let's see thursday june 2nd or june 3rd excuse me we have the jefferson county dairy parade coming up right here in watertown new york if you're within range of uh, coming to watertown that afternoon the parade starts at 7 p.m and it's going to be a great parade we've got all kinds of bands this year uh, eight different marching bands we have downbeat percussion the official drum line for the buffalo bills professional football team uh we've got all kinds of agricultural entries we're going to have free ice cream for kids along the parade route uh so it's just going to be a really great time we're going to see uh, one of those uh, old mcdonald's farm tankers in the parade yeah route. i think uh the robbins family uh We'll need to get an entry in here, I guess, to I, uh, to make sure we're uh, represented. Yeah, here. yeah. Well, and I need the entries to break uh, up. Oh, all the... I thought there was a message behind <laughs> that. So. Uh, those when I get that many bands, I I have to usually put about two entries between every marching band, and so uh, with that many bands, it it gets a little bit challenging to give them enough separation that and all the political campaigns this year yeah lots of politics yeah you have to keep them separated as well so anyways that's uh friday june 3rd at 7 p.m right here in watertown new york and you can go to www.agricultureevents.com for more information on the jefferson (laughs) county dairy parade well we're going to have a really great program for you today we've got a good friend of ours uh, mr sean hackett he is the president of hackett financial advisors and the author of hackett agricultural report Uh, he has been a keynote speaker here at one of our ag development conferences uh, several years ago and uh, he is a gentleman that Ron especially, and I like to listen in, uh, Ron goes to him for a lot of key information and advice on what's going on in agriculture, especially on the economics and financial side. So, Sean, great to have you with us today. How are you, sir? I am fantastic. Freshly back from Fresno, California. Nice to be home, and I'm glad to see that you're feeling better. Always, uh, you know, always want to want to see you doing well and, and doing and helping those in agriculture. Oh, well, thank you very much, Sean. I really appreciate that. Yeah, that COVID, it knocked, knocked me on my butt for a couple days, but um, back up and swinging again, other than this stupid cough that's left. So thank you very much, sir. I really appreciate that. Uh, Fresno, California, were you out there uh, getting things straightened out in California? <laughs> well, where I was, you know, it, it, you know, it's, it's the uh, uh, Republican part of the state. Um, uh, you know, they, uh, 
they have a very different view, obviously, than other parts of the state. So at least I, I took comfort in being in the great agricultural area that is Fresno and, and got to meet some really, really hardworking uh, farmers there. And so I was I was blessed to be in that in that energy for a while and being able to speak at a few conferences there. Oh, so. excellent. Excellent. Well, great, uh, great that they were able to bring you out there. Now, Sean, how long have you been uh, providing financial management assistance to agriculture here in the United States? Um, I'm pushing on 30 years now. 30 years? That's a few years. Uh, it's a few years. I've seen a, a lot of ups and downs and, and crashes and blow off tops and all kinds of uh, weird financial things uh, in our markets for sure. So. Yeah, yeah, that, that would And you know, sense. Sean, it, you've been at it 30 years. I've been at it in the 40 plus here now. And there's something though, uh, you know, I, I was just getting started in the farm crash of the 80s and, you know, we saw high interest rates and some of the, you know, fuel shortages and other things back then. We saw a lot of government uh, intervention uh in ag policy during that time, but it really feels like this is of greater magnitude. Some of the volatility, some of the the uneasiness that exists out there in the countryside. What do you? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I mean everything. Everything is 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 to a much greater extreme. It just seems the global politi- you know, political situation is really on the extreme side right now. The monetary measures, you know, that we took from COVID, the anger amongst uh, diverse groups, the, the lack of having a conversation um, about topics. It's either my way or the highway. You know, this, despite this polarized world that we're in, Ron, really, really is very different from most of the, of the world that I grew up in, where you could actually have two opposing forces rationally talk through an issue and, and at least have some compromise. It just seems like we just do not have that. And because of that, we're getting extreme uh, actions. We're getting extreme market moves and we're getting some, what I would argue, some very questionable and irrational um, decision-making. And it's making it very, very difficult as a producer to look out ahead and say, you know, how should I forge forward? How am I supposed to be making investments when the landscape is looking like this it's very very difficult right now yeah that's really you know kind of how i view it it's uh and of course you know i'm family farm operation you know like many family farm operations around the country and uh you know transitioning to the next generation looking at you know nancy and i transitioning out of the farming operation or at least you know beginning to think about our exit strategy and with all this unrest, it it really puts and all this uneasiness and all this policy uh, really puts uh, puts producers in a really vulnerable position. I mean, I think I don't think we're really all that different from producers around the country. No, I agree. And 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 the problem is when you have shortages that have developed for a whole host of reasons, um, you need investments to develop long term increase in supply, whether you're talking about crude oil, whether you're talking about natural gas, whether you're talking about agriculture. And if there's too much uncertainty and those that are in a position to pull the strings to make those investments are uncomfortable doing it, it actually extends and exacerbates the inability to put that money to work to get that capacity going. And it it elongates these periods of shortages and that's not really the way the system is supposed to work so so right now sean um want to ask you a question i'm um, going to put you on the spot here 
Uh, it's a two-pronged question. What are you seeing as the, the greatest opportunity given this situation? And then what are you seeing as the greatest challenge given the current situation? And I'll let you pick out which one you want to start with. Uh, but you know, what would be the opportunity that's really standing out to you right now? And then what is your, your greatest challenge, the, your greatest concern that you're seeing out there? Yeah, I would say from a concern standpoint, there's still people, uh, there, there's supply and demand. And I, the biggest concern I have is that everyone is continuing to focus on the supply side and understandably so, but there is the demand side. And even in the 1970s, when we had a stagflationary environment like it appears we're in right now. There were very significant, incredible declines in prices during periods of economic decline. And I think that there's a view by many out there that prices cannot fall because the supplies are perceived to be so tight. And I think they're misconstruing the, the, the how the supply-demand equation works. It's very easy to look at supply and quantify it the demand kind of sneaks up on you. And I'm a little worried that a lot of uh, those out there are going to be missing some pricing opportunities that we currently have, thinking they can't go down and find that when they actually do have to sell, you know, they're, they're selling at a price that doesn't actually work for their overall cost structure. And, and I think that's something that I try to bring home to my customers you know, pretty regularly is don't lose sight of you know, the demand side of the equation, you're not going to have no demand effect if we truly go into a deep recession and the Federal Reserve continues to withdraw liquidity and raise interest rates. We are going to have issues with demand and maybe some of the bullishness right now that we're seeing, you know, maybe a little overdone. So I would say from, from, from the risk standpoint, I'd real, and, and, and you mentioned it, Jay, about government, actually, Ron, you mentioned about government intervention uh, that we used to have or, you know, in, in a greater way. I think we're going to get even you know, we're going to get a lot more government intervention. I think, you know, the ban on wheat uh, exports from India, um, you know, the Russian ban on wheat exports last year. You know, if, we, if these prices continue to be high, I think we could be looking at price controls, could be looking at um, further bans, uh, you know, demand rationing. You know, you, you only get so much per week in a certain country. Um, and we have to remember that is a fundamental that can very much you know, drive our prices and take some of the free market out of it. So to me, that's really, you know, what I would say is the biggest risk is thinking prices cannot go down because the supplies right now seem so tight. So you're, you're approaching that answer then from, from the perspective of a farmer, a producer, right. uh, who, who has products that they intend to grow or raise and, they're looking down the road saying, okay, I can do this because these prices are right here today and they're not going to go down, wherein your, your concern, uh, they could indeed end up going down and producers are going to get caught, uh, you know, they're going to get left with something that they raised at a certain cost of production that was higher than what they'll be able to receive once that product is ready for market. Yeah, I mean, let me, maybe it'd be helpful to go through a typical psychology of how the cycle works. Sure. Back in 2020, when we had the virus and the lockdowns and the crash in ag prices, 318 corn, you know, just hor horrible prices. Um, you know, back then, you know, our recommendation 
to our producers cash wise was that this was a time not to be aggressive in your selling um, because we felt that we were at a, you know a low point psychologically and fundamentally and that we we're going to be heading into this phase transition higher and that you w don't want to be aggressively forward selling your crop unfortunately um, you know we know that a lot of four dollar corn was sold that first run up in late in 2020 into early 21 and we know a lot of five dollar corn was sold um, in that run-up uh, in late 21 into 22. And so farmers for two years in a row got burned selling forward too aggressively and ultimately selling a price that turned out to be uneconomical because of the significant inflation in their cost structure. And now what I'm, so now what happens is in the third year, what they're saying to themselves, I'm not going to make that mistake again for the third year in a row. I'm not going to sell early. I'm not going to sell forward. I'm going to hold on. And that's exactly when they should be starting to sell forward, starting to be more aggressive on the marketing. Um, and, and that's, we've shifted our recommendation from store your grain in the bin and sell what you have to, to you'll get your, bring some money home on the farm. We think this is this the, the right message now, but we see so many of our producers and customers thinking that you know they 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 missed out on the last two years and they don't want to and they're, they're going to hold out this time and that typically is how this goes and then they wind up selling the harvest lows in august or september at a, at a price that really doesn't make sense and it adds insult to the injury of their earlier early sales that didn't work out so i, th I think that's the typical cycle and Braun probably can confirm this you know of how the this this is typical for producers to tend to do that, sell too early in the beginning and then sell too late at the end. And there always seem to be, you know, not bringing the kind of income home on the farm on a consistent basis as they should. Yeah, and I guess, you know, the message here, Jay, really that Sean, I think, is is trying to articulate is that it's a complicated process, you know, as producers, whether you're producing milk or grain, you know, milk, of course, has to get marketed every single day. But you still have the opportunity to go out there and forward sell some of that. And we're seeing some record high prices right now. And, you know, we could see some some even better prices going into the last quarter of this year. I think, you know, Sean talks about that in some of his advisory newsletters that he writes. But at that point in time, that price isn't going to last forever. And we're seeing input costs, you know, go sky high. You know, I just sat down and paid bills for April and my monthly overhead costs are about $30,000 more this past month than they were even the previous month. That's how fast costs wow. are going up. $30,000 more in April versus June. Your, yeah, your overhead yeah, well, costs. actually March or, versus yeah, April. March. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so, uh, and that doesn't include labor costs. So, you know, we're seeing, we're just seeing prices, you know, everything from repair parts to, you know, fuel, of course, is a huge one. Uh, but you've got other things, you know, electrical bills, uh, you know, the things that just kind of sneak up on you. Repair parts, though, is absolutely insanely expensive right now. And even if you can get them. So, you know, it's... Uh, it's really a critical time, I guess, the message here to back up a little bit, you know, as a producer to really be cognizant of where you are in your marketing strategies. Uh, think about your cost of production. Think about what it's going to take to make sure you're profitable, that the bills are paid and you meet your your business goals and then pull the trigger on this stuff. Um, you know, make some sales, put some money in your pocket and uh, and don't look back. 
Well, it, it, we're, uh, folks, we're talking with Sean Hackett. He is the uh, he is the president of Hackett Financial Advisors and author of Hackett Agricultural Report, as well as as always, uh, Ron Robbins, uh, one of the partners in uh, North Harbor Dairy, Old McDonald's Farm, uh, Robbins Family Grain, and a couple other businesses. So we've got uh, we've got some really smart people here on the podcast with us. And right now, uh, it, it sounds like, Sean, what you're saying, and it's something I've heard on the uh, business reports on the news and so on, cash is king. Uh, having that cash, putting, uh, you know, putting more cash in your pocket is king. Is that true? Am I saying that right? Well, when the Fed has decided to raise interest rates and the Fed has decided to withdraw liquidity from the monetary system, and we go through this cycle very consistently this is not the first time we've seen this um that's a time that cash tends to take on a greater importance than when they're lowering interest rates so so back in 2020 when they were lowering rates and printing all kinds of money you know that's when cash needed to be put to work because what they were telling you with their actions was that they were going to flood the system with capital and that means that you tend to have too much capital chasing too few goods and that means putting money to work in that environment tends to work out and of course it did but now they're telling you they want to try to bring this system under control they want to try to bring the liquidity back you've already seen the stock market you know down pretty substantially this year and that's usually the first um, measure of liquidity being withdrawn and that means that ca having cash in the bank bringing money home on the farm takes on a greater importance because there's going to be a time whether it's a month or three months or six months where they're going to decide that the economic situation is getting too bad or they've done too much and they're going to start to suggest that they're going to reliquify the market again and you want to have cash available when you get that signal from them to put those investments to work on the farm and that's really kind of the the yin and the yang that we see you know that's the cycle that our monetary system creates and so right now i do believe Cash is king for a while um, until such time that we get that monetary signal from them that they're done, you know, kind of bringing some of this um, inflation of asset prices down a little bit. I had a thought. Uh, Ron, go ahead. <laughs> well, um, so, I mean, that's and that's been exactly our strategy over the last, uh, you know, six months here. So is to uh, kind of say, OK, it's not it's not a time to be going out and uh, spending a lot of money right now. Let's let's put some money in the bank. Let's let's do prepays. Let's take advantage of all the opportunities they are to make your cash work for you um, the best you can and have have that money sitting there. So when you do get that signal that you can, you know, and that signal's strong enough, you can, that's the time to make those investments. I mean, right now you're seeing, I mean, do a building project right now. I mean, unbelievable what the cost would be. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so you would be buying high, you would making that, that investment with, with very high input costs and, and then taking depreciation and, uh, you know, and then have this thing roll on top of you six months or a year from now. So hmm. it makes a bad investment. So it's really about planning, I think, is what Sean's saying. Yeah, it is. And, 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 and uh, I would like to mention how China can be a good leading indicator in terms of when we would expect that signal to be uh, given. They, they tend to be six 
to nine months earlier than we are in, in taking action. So, for example, uh, we've just seen that the Chinese bank lowered interest rates yesterday. They're starting to loosen monetary policy. You know, they've shut down something along the lines of three to 500 million people now for almost two months. No one knows how long that will last, but you know they're beginning to set the seeds for for reliquifying their economy. Um, and at some point later in the year, and I think you know Ron alluded to you know why we think we could have some higher milk prices later in the year. They're going to reopen those three to five hundred million people, like we did. And when they do, and if they're liquefying the system, you know that's an indication of when uh, our situation economically here could start to you know show itself to be such that the Federal Reserve feels they have cover to follow along with what China is doing. China has is, is now become such an important part of the global economic system, both financially and trade-wise, that I think that there's a, you know, that, that that's telling us that sometime later on in this, this year, we're going to get that signal when all systems are go and that putting some of that cash that hopefully you brought home on the farm can be put to work at hopefully, you know, less, you know, more economical terms that, like Ron said, you know, that to build a barn, it won't cost so much and you'll have a better economic opportunity to do it so, so that's the kind of thing we look for these leading indicators telling us fourth quarter could be a big time for a change in monetary policy you think so. it's going to come that soon sean I, I i i say that respectfully you know everything i hear is that we're looking at long term uh beyond this year economic woes as far as the availability you know the interest rates are going to remain high which to me signals that uh, you know there, there's prices are going to remain high. Uh, explain because I, I I'm just confused or concerned about what you're saying. Well, when I am looking at what's going on, I mean all the economic numbers that we're seeing are completely collapsing right now. Right. Not only in the U.S. but we saw the European economic numbers just dreadful. You know the stock market is collapsing. Um, trillions of dollars are being taken away from people's 401ks, um, the housing market's starting to roll over. I mean, it won't take long, you know, for the Federal Reserve to see that they really are not in a position to, to do much more because if they were to do much more in a situation that's already unwinding like this, you know, they would push the country on the brink of something really, really ugly uh, beyond recession which I don't believe they're prepared to do. So uh, their policies are, are mainly market-driven. The, the markets kind of tell them when they've done enough or tell them when they need to do something. And I and I just looking at what I'm seeing, uh, not only here domestically but internationally, I don't, even see, I don't see how it's possible they can keep their tightening monetary policy beyond the end of the year. Uh, you know, I, I don't see how that would be something they would be able to achieve. I don't think the markets will allow them to do it. You're more optimistic than I am, but you are the financial advisor. And <laughs> I am not. <laughs> People don't pay me for my <laughs> advice on finances. Uh, we're talking with Sean Hackett, the president of Hackett Financial Advisors. And uh, Sean, one of the things that we uh, we really didn't get to yet was the opportunity side of things. Are there opportunities out there right now created by this situation that the agricultural community should be looking at? Well, I you know it, the environment that we're in, um, Ron and Jay, you know, I, I believe that we're in one of these 10, 15-year cycles where agricultural prices in general are going to be having more upside price risks 
than downside price risk, which is completely different from the last decade that we went through at very low price. So the opportunity is that we have breaks, which we'll have. Um, the long-term picture is that agriculture always tends to fare much, much better during more inflationary times, which I feel we're in. And, and that one should not lose sight of the fact that when we do get these temporary periods, like maybe we're going through now, you know, that the, the picture for agriculture looks very, very bright. And those that are uh, careful, calculating, um, have sound strategies of bringing cash home at the right times and putting it to work at the right times, it should be a really, really prosperous time for ag producers to put a lot of equity in their farming business. Uh, whether you're Sean, we're we're wise. starting to lose you. Your your phone is getting ca- kind of garbled up on on you. Um, oh, okay. Can you, you hear me now? Yeah, we can hear you now. Okay, I'm sorry. I, I'm actually just sitting. So. Huh? Okay. <laughs> Weird. But anyway, I, I, the bottom line is that I I do think this is a very very exciting time for ag producers specifically, and uh, uh, and when there are big breaks in markets. You know, that's the time that you really want to be making sure you push pencil to paper and keep yourself optimistic because that's how you're going to grow your ag business. Think about the 70s. Think about the 2000s. It was a very good time to be in agriculture. We think this time could be even better. So Really? Wow. Yeah. Okay. So uh, <clears throat> is it is it uh, livestock production? Is it dairy production? Uh, where do you Where do you see the biggest opportunities coming? In the short run, and I think Ron can, you know, if Ron wants to, to, to dovetail on this, but I think in the short run, there's a very substantial opportunity in livestock right now. The hog market, the cattle market, the cattle business, um, and yeah, I would even argue in the dairy business, you know, they have not uh, been rewarded the, to the extent that the um, grain producers have, meaning, you know, they're on the other side, the costs of feed is high they've been heard liquidating prices are not very exciting um and so their business is actually pretty difficult but what typically happens at the end of a herd liquidation cycle and grains reaching some kind of an interim peak like i think they're doing the livestock sector has a a pretty substantial repricing higher like 2013 like 2014 time frame so if i was looking at the short term meaning the next two to three years, I think there's an immense opportunity in the livestock sector to do some smart things and really, really prepare yourself to bring significant equity home for those operations. Yeah, and I certainly tend to to agree with that. I think that's where you know my focus is is starting to shift from you know from the grain side over to the livestock side and. You know, whether it's dairy or whether it's uh, cattle, uh, we're certainly going to see China as they ramp back up hog herd uh, replacement over there. They've come out of African swine flu. They've come out of shutdown, you know, with COVID or will be coming out of that. You know, you'll see a big effort to uh, to regain the meat supplies and that, you know, that part of the world just seems like a lot of opportunity. There's going to be an appetite for dairy from the export perspective. We're seeing all kinds of political decisions being made in other countries like Europe, for instance, that really, you know, in 2015 pulled off the quota and kind of 
opened the door for dairy expansion. And then immediately, uh, these green, so-called green policies uh, took effect over the last two years or so. And and we're seeing, you know, their dairy herds uh, really dwindle. So if I'm a, if I'm a consumer out there, um, listening to this podcast today and you know i've been going to the supermarket and i've been seeing shortages of food uh you know we see that uh you know things are there then they're not there then all of a sudden the product's back on the shelves um is that going to get better or worse over the next several months i think as the recession gets stronger jay and as the natural demand destruction that comes from that intensifies um and people pull back and you know spend what they you know what they minimally need to uh, i think we're going to see some of that supply shortage uh alleviate for a little while here over the summer maybe even to the early fall um so i so i actually think we're going to see some of the easing of some of this pressure it'll also take pressure off of the logistical system that continues to struggle to catch up after the lockdowns and the reopenings uh, to get things shipped from one place to another. So I think in the short run, I think we'll see less shortages, but in the intermediate term, at least for the, the meat side of the equation, I think the shortages could become you know, considerably more severe um, in 23, especially, and into 24 uh, than they are right now. So I guess it's just a time frame of when you're looking at things versus not. So your, your, your expectation is, is that in 2023, and, and Ron and I have said this in previous podcasts, uh, that 2023, 2024 could actually be worse as far as some food shortages here in the United States. Absolutely. I mean, China is going to reopen. And, and when they do, and 300, 400, 500 million people start buying something, um, you know, the demand that's going to come from them and other Asian countries is going to be unbelievable. And we know meat demand, beef demand, pork demand, chicken demand is going to be you know, very, very um, strong. And that will be at a time that our herd liquidation cycle in the U.S. for cattle will have brought animals down to an extremely low level. We know that we're killing millions and millions of birds because of avian flu. And of course, the hog herd hasn't grown in years and it's actually at a five-year low. We won't have the capacity to satisfy that demand that's going to come from them and hence, the price of you know animal prices and, and meat prices are going to go up considerably. I think that's going to be probably the next really big shock is to see how high those prices could go um, as we move into that period of time. And, and that's going to be uh, something consumers really need to be aware of and, um, and hopefully try to work their way around it. And restaurant business, too, you know how they manage those kinds of costs. Um, it's going to be a very important way how they hedge those costs going forward. Pretty shocking information. Yeah, it, and I think if you think of it, Jay, you know, in cycles and, you know, and how this, it's it's kind of like a wave, right? It It's rolling in and, uh, you know, it's, it's in one spot now, but it's, you know, look again and it's in another spot and, you know, the wave just keeps keeps rolling and uh, it's going to roll through the food supply, basically, and you know, when you look at feeder cattle, for instance, you know, we've had drought in the Midwest, uh, drought in the upper Midwest, uh, 
A lot of cows were liquidated because there wasn't feed, which then makes the calf crop short. We had Travis Maddox on here a while back, and, uh, you know, he talked about that. And they had blizzards and short feed supplies. And, you know, it takes a long time to rebuild that cow herd and uh, rebuild that calf herd to get the feedlots full again. Hey, Jay. Yes, sir. Let me, let, if I may, um, yep. a great example of this herd liquidation cycle occurred in Australia. They had a one in 150 year drought a few years back and liquidated the cattle herd to such an extent that when the rains finally returned and the pasture growth came back, you know, we saw the cattle price in Australia go up fourfold in 12 months. Now, I'm not forecasting that, you know, every situation is different, but what I'm saying is the, the extreme reaction to our, to the end of a herd liquidation cycle um, cannot be underestimated, and um, and then I, I think Ron's really uh, right. You know, really bring home the right message that you just can't snap your fingers and say we're just going to turn all these animals on. Think of it like in crude oil or natural gas. Everyone is up in arms that we have these high prices. Please just produce some more, please. Well, that's great, but <laughs> we haven't invested in it for quite a while. It's going to take a while to get that going, and in the meantime. The only way to manage the situation is with higher prices. And so that's really, really going to be something that I think the big story of the last two years with the grain markets, the big story for the next two years is going to be the livestock markets. So recommendations to consumers, buy local, get that uh, get that pig in the freezer, get a, a quarter or half a cow in the freezer, and uh, make sure that you're hedging against uh, what could be coming in 2023 to 2024. Absolutely. You know, I think that, you know, that that's what you need to be doing. You need to be hedging your own situation by, you know, being long the cash, which is what you just said, being long this actual physical supply. No, no doubt in my mind, that's what needs to be done. Uh, and or else, or else people are going to be priced out of consuming those items that they really, you know, want to consume. Yeah. Uh, it's, my wife and I bought a, a whole pig off a friend of ours and it was a great investment. Uh, you know, because prices started to sh- soar just after we purchased it, and it ended up saving us a ton of money, and we're still enjoying local pork. So, yeah, yeah and that's yeah. Hey, the same goes for consumers, like you say, as as producers. You know, as producers, we got to manage and think about our future. Consumers need to do the same thing. They're going to have a finite amount of money to spend. They got to buy gas. They got to buy clothes. They got to buy food. They got to buy household supplies. You know, they got to buy school supplies. They got to make a car payment, a house payment. So they need to think about, you know, how they can allocate those dollars. And, and buying local fits really well into that. Yeah. If, if they can swing, if they can swing putting enough cash away to go buy half a pig or half a cow. Yeah and have a freezer to put it in uh, it's not a bad idea yeah. not a bad idea and to do that folks just go to uh, Cornell Cooperative Extension of Jefferson County's website and click on their local food guide within that local food guide you will find a listing of a lot of farms that do have uh, pigs uh, beef uh, chickens uh, for sale uh, that you can purchase and put away in the freezer. So lots of good information there. Uh, Sean, what have we missed? We're talking with Sean Hackett, president of Hackett Financial Advisors. As we begin to wrap up, what have we missed, Sean? Um, I would say that probably the only other thing to consider is that the potential for further unrest 
Um, I would be thinking about Taiwan and China. I know it's something that has been talked about uh, a lot, but if I'm thinking geopolitically with what Russia and is done with invading Ukraine, it seems to me at some point we're going to have to deal with what it means to have China uh, try to take over or bring Taiwan back into um, the mainland of you know the economy there, and what our response and what the global response would be and you know, what would we do what would europe do would you know how would we um alter agricultural policies how w- would we restrict exports to china as punishment for them going to taiwan i i don't really know the answers to all those things but that'll be another huge geopolitical trigger like the ukraine invasion was that everyone needs to be thinking that through that to me that could be the next rogue wave or black swan event that will shake the fiber of markets and you know there'll be some unintended consequences that come from that so i you know can't always hard to predict when something like, like that would happen but i believe the chances of it happening over the next let's say three to five years is very very high yeah, so yeah no i would agree based on based on all the indicators we're seeing it just it seems like it's inevitable uh that that will happen ron what else have we missed no i think we're good jay i mean of course we you know Sean spends a lot of time talking about weather, and we haven't spent a lot of time talking about that. And the, there's always weather risk, right? Yeah. That that we don't know what what's going to happen, and that's another that's another story for another day. But yeah. uh, you know, and as farmers, we deal with that all the time. And uh, let's just hope uh, you know the good Lord uh, uh, graces us with a with a good growing season this year, and we really need it here in the U.S. Uh, you know, it's not a time for uh, for these shortages to be exacerbated. So uh, we're just, you know, we're in the middle of planting season here right now. It's everybody's optimistic, even with all the high prices. So let's just hope we roll forward here and have a great season. Yeah, hey, Ron, I, Ron, what I will say, and, and Jay, what I will say, and you know, like I said, the transition away from La Nina, where we are now, to an El Nino, which I believe we're heading into for 2023, does tend to be a much better period for weather, meaning that the climate will be more conducive to producing more consistent, better, high-quality crops in both North America and South America. So, you know, obviously we have to see how everything plays out, but my overall long-term weather cycles are saying some better weather ahead, and maybe that can help, you know, provide some, alleviate some of this shortage and and, and provide some cover here and kick the can down the road a little bit to a better uh, future here. So, so I am a little optimistic that weather is going to improve after a really, really tough couple of years. So let's go El Nino. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone oh. should be waking up every morning and praying for El Nino. Yeah. <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. Well, Sean, it has been fantastic to have you on the podcast, sir. Uh, Really appreciate your help. Thank you, Jay. And uh, thank you, Ron. Love what you do. Love everything that you are uh, trying to accomplish. And thank you so much for letting me participate. And most importantly, thank you so much for trying to help, you know, the U.S. farmer. So well, we 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 do what we can from our little desk right here in northern New York. So that's for sure. All right, thanks a lot, Sean. Ron, as always, thank you uh, welcome, for coming Jake. in and putting up with me, sir. And uh, hope everybody enjoyed this podcast. It's Jay Madison's Rural America. You can find it at www.agricultureevents.com or just go to your favorite 
podcast search service and just subscribe to it right there. Make sure you tune in every week to Jay Madison's Rural America. Thank you for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America. Make sure to join us weekly. If you have any questions about the show, call Jay at 315-782-5865. For more information, visit www.agricultureevents.com or jcida.com. Until next time, thanks for tuning in to Jay Madison's Rural America.